chapter 13. And it says this, <coughs> starting in verse 4. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an, intelli- an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Paul also called, I'm sorry, but Saul also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elymas and said, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil and enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed, because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And Lord, give us clarity here this morning. Lord, give me the words that you desire for me to speak here this morning. Speak through me, God. And Lord, edify us all. Lord, encourage us and teach us, Lord Jesus, how to understand this passage, how to understand it and see it in our own times and in our, in our own culture today and in our, in our lives as we live in today. Uh, because we know that your word, Lord, your word is living and active. And uh, Lord, you are still living and active here today through the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray your blessing and your understanding here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. So there's a lot going on in our passage here today. (laughs) And the more I got into it and and the more I got into my commentaries and, and all the nerdy stuff the more and longer my, my list of notes came. And I was like, oh, where do I go with this? Because <laughs> there are different, different ways that we can understand this passage here this morning. Um, and I want to try to, try to keep, it, keep it simple, keep it safe, uh, keep it simple, keep it straightforward. And so really the, the, the whole point here this morning is this phrase, Satan blinds, but Jesus shines. Satan conceals, but Jesus reveals. And as we can see in the midst of their culture, as we were talking about here this morning when, when we first started, is that how do we see our faith and the way that we do our faith, the way that we live out our faith as being that which you know, affects the way that we live? Does it change us? Does it, do we see the Bible and the way that it's talking about what, what happened then and do we see it in our, in our own lives? Do we see it in our own culture? Do we see it in our own sphere of influence? Do we see it? Do, 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 is it the lens by which we see our world and see God's world, see the culture around us? Because as we can see all around us, as we'll get more deeper into this, is the revelation of Jesus. 
is that where Satan wants to come and bring blindness, where he wants to come and, and conceal the truth, God wants to shine that truth through our words, through our lives, that we are little lights. Like the old song, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It's not right. Hide it under a bushel. No! You know, don't let Satan it out. I'm gonna, you don't remember the junior high version? Yeah. <laughs> that was how I remembered it. <laughs> but you are that light. God's light shines through you. Now, what is that light? We're like, oh, it sounds super hippy-dippy. You're like, oh, God's light shines through you. What, what does that mean? That you are the light. Well, what does light do? I mean, what is the light, the light doing right now? Sienna, turn off these lights. Do you remember how to do that? Those four? There we go. Nope, the other two. Okay, that works too. That works. That's fine. What does it do? Right? It's, it's now dark. Okay, now bring it back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Santa. And it reveals. It shows. Right? That's why I closed these. It was, it was kind of backlighting a little too, too much, right? It's kind of blinding everyone. <laughs> right? Light shines. Light illuminates. Light shows the reality. Shows the truth. Right? Like in Indiana Jones, when she's walking through the thing, and all I hear is this, this, oh, what is that? You know, she looks down and light shines the light on the ground, and it's bugs. Like, if she just wouldn't have known what was on the floor, she would have been fine, probably, maybe. But, so the light of Jesus, the light of the gospel shows us the reality, shows us the truth, shows us God's heart. Shows the world through us God's heart. And so Satan blinds, but Jesus shines. Satan conceals, but Jesus reveals. So let's get into our passage here this morning and see what we're talking about here. So Paul, and sorry, sorry, Barnabas and Saul sailed to Cyprus. Now, if you, as you'll notice, this is the last time we see Barnabas and Saul in the, in the, in the, in the, book, in the book of Acts. What it'll happen? What will happen after this passage is that it switches. Of course, now we see you know, Paul, you know, Saul's name is now Paul, as it says in uh, right there in verse nine. But Saul also called Paul. He will no longer be called Saul from this point on. His name switches from his Hebrew name, his Jewish name, to now him using his Gentile or Roman name. And all people back then, especially in you know, all around Jerusalem, had a Jewish name and a Roman name, had a Gentile name that the Romans would call them. And so Paul was, would start, which makes sense that he would go by his Gentile name, non-Jewish name, because he was going to minister to and evangelize non non-Jews. He was going to proselytize or go and preach the gospel to Gentiles, to the Romans and the Greeks, but. As well, word order is, is very important too. Whoever's name is named first is typically the more prominent in the relationship or the, or the juxtaposition of the names. So Barnabas has been the leader. He was the guy that, that fought, you know, fought for Saul, like we, talk, like we talked about, got him, you know, vouched for him before the apostles in Jerusalem. Like, hey, guys, this, I vouch for him. He's trustworthy. Yes, the conversion that he had was real. He's not going to come in here and like arrest all of us, right? And so... Barnabas has been the leader. He's the one that went and got Saul and brought him back to Antioch. 
for the last however many years. And so Barnabas is the leader so far of this mission trip, of this mission, mission journey, apostolic journey. But after this passage, you'll see it switches. It'll now be Paul and Barnabas. Because Paul then kind of takes the apostolic lead in this mission party. So, so Barnabas and Saul set out. So how do they go? So if you'll look at your little mappy, mappy thingies there, um, you'll see the Orontes River. So that's where Antioch was seated on. That's where they were. And so they took that river. Most likely they kind of sailed out to the coast. And then like a little dinghy or a little, little boat or something like that, a little you know, uh, ferry or something like that, got ferried down the river uh, to, uh, to, what is it, to uh, Seleucia. And so then they probably got on a bigger boat, bigger ship, and then transported them across the Mediterranean to the island of Cyprus, to the town of Salamis, which is the port town there. And then they made their way across the island of Paph- to Paphos. And so the whole island from coast to coast, from Salamis to Paphos, is only about 140 miles. That's from here to Billings. Just a little, you know, little, uh, you know, size reference type thing. So 140 miles, that's the entire island of Cyprus. And there are towns and cities all along the, the highways that the Romans, you know, made across the island. And so, but here's the thing. They only went to the synagogues during this trip. And there's three reasons why that, that Peter Wagner gives us, and I think they're a great, great reference point for us. So three reasons that, that Paul, I'm sorry, that, uh, that Barnabas and Saul went to only the synagogues. Number one, the Abrahamic covenant has not been nullified. Just because Jesus Christ came, was crucified, and was buried and resurrected, doesn't mean, and, and now we're living in the new covenant of grace that's expanding to the Gentiles, this doesn't nullify the Abrahamic covenant. Now you notice he said, I, I said Abrahamic, not Mosaic. The Mosaic law has been fulfilled. The Abrahamic covenant was the old covenant. And then the law was added later, as, we'll see in Gal- as we see in Galatians. So the Abrahamic covenant is still going. The Abra- Abrahamic covenant is strong. And what is that covenant? That God will be the, with them as their God. And they will be his people. And that is his covenant with us as the church. We are his people. He is our God. Yahweh is our God. The God of the first covenant, the Old Testament, is our God. We worship the same God as the Jews. But we worship Jesus as the fulfilled Messiah into the new covenant that the, now the, the Jewish nation and the Israelites are invited into. But it is only entered through, in, enter, only entered into through Christ, through Jesus the Messiah. So the Abrahamic covenant has not been fulfilled. Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Key phrase, first to the Jew, and then also to the Greek. So he has not given up on, t- on preaching and, and you know, the gospel and invita- invitation to the Jewish nation first, and then going to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Number two, number second reason is that Paul himself was, was Jewish. And so he had a better chance of being, at least initially, accepted by, by the Jews and by, the, by these Gentiles. So, you know, to be accepted into the synagogues, to be able to preach 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, him being a Jew himself, because Gentiles could not preach and teach in the synagogues in the ancient Near East. Number three, and this is going to where we're going to settle in, into, this, into this passage, many of the synagogues in these areas were made up of Jews, but as well as, Jew, as Gentile proselytes, those who came to faith in Yahweh and, and joined the Jewish nation. And they were full-on circumcision, you know, full-on accepted and baptized into the Jewish nation. They were now considered Jews, even though there were, there were still Gentiles that they couldn't preach in the synagogue or go past, a certain, you know, go past the, the beautiful gate in the temple. They, they could say, they could, but they could go into the Gentile court of the temple. But also, there were, there were the Gentile proselytes, but also God-fearers. As we talked about a few weeks ago, these are uh, God-fearers are those who are Gentiles who are investigating the faith, who are, are going to and joining with and investigating and hearing the claims and worshiping with them, but they haven't gotten circumcised, they haven't gotten baptized, they haven't bought in, they haven't joined yet. These are people, people that come to the church that aren't yet Christians, but they're involved. They're, they're here, they're learning, they're reading, which is awesome, it's great. Because what better way to do it? To find out the faith claims of the scripture and of our faith than coming and being a part of us. Right? And so, and then with the hope that they will eventually, yes, believe and, and, and place their faith in Jesus and be baptized and join the kingdom of heaven. Join the kingdom of God. But these God-fearers are those who are, are making their way, are coming, they're researching, they're investigating the claims of the faith. Um, so it was a good place to start for the ministry to the Gentiles because there are already Gentiles there. There are already non-Jewish people there, the very ones that he was called to. These God-fears and proselytes, as we will continue to see throughout the rest of the book of Acts, will be the most receptive to the gospel message. These are the ones that will respond the, the, the most and the best. These are the ones that will that are they're more likely to come and be a part of the, and join the church because they're already investigating. It's this is not like you know the, Paul and Sil- Paul and uh, and Barnabas are not going door to door with with their suit coats on with the little badges on saying hello maybe we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ have you found Jesus you know they're not going door to door cold calling people and wanting to invite you know invite themselves in to talk about the talk about Jesus with no relationship with no you know, perspective of Jesus or the gospel or the Bible. These are people that are already investigating the claims of the faith. I mean, think about it. Like, think about Costco, right? You're already there shopping for food, and they give you free samples. It's like getting free samples. And like, hey, these are on sale right behind me. And you're like, oh, I think I need some of those deep dish Chicago style pizzas. Thank you. You know. And so it's 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 that you're already there shopping for food. They're not going to go out on the street and give you free samples, right? They put it in the store where people are already there shopping. This is Paul's main strategy: reach those who are already looking into investigating the faith claims of those who worship Yahweh, and show how. His Messiah has come in Jesus Christ. So it's not just like bringing them into Judaism. It's bringing them in with understanding, you know, because they're there talking, you know, reading about and hearing the, the Torah. 
read about and in all the declarations of, of Yahweh and his majesty and the anticipation of the Messiah and saying, but guess what? He just came and he died on the cross for your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins. And guess what? That Holy Spirit he talks about, it's also a free gift if you want it. Do you want it? It's pretty awesome. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Here, taste this. Right? It's a, this, it's a fulfillment. I was always wondering, like, how in the world do you like proclaim the Messiah to a to just someone who's like full on pagan? How is the a Jewish Messiah the hope of a Gentile in the world? And there's a lot that we can can be said to that. I mean, the very first thing is like, well, it shows you the perspective of the world, that the who the Creator truly is. It was not. Ra, it was not Zeus, it was not Pan, it was not the Celtic and the Druid gods, it was not anyone else except for Yahweh and Yahweh alone. He is the one who created the world and all things in it. But it's like, you know, so they're investigating these faith claims, so it's almost like this, you know, the synagogues, what they're teaching is like faith 1.0. But then Paul comes in there saying, hey, I've got faith 2.0. It's the new and, new and improved version with the Messiah already here. It's almost like I had a conversation yesterday um, with a guy. We were talking about this, this moto horn. And it's like the you know, kind of aftermarket horn you can put on your bike. And there's the moto horn 1.0. But then there's the new and improved 2.0 with the big horns that sound like a train horn. And it was pretty epic, too. I was like, holy cow. I was right next to it when he... <laughs> fired the sucker off. But apparently now there's a 3.0. There's a 3.0 motor horn, which I have to get. <laughs> apparently it's got better wiring. So, you know, there's that. But it's that, it's the, it's the fulfilled faith of the Jewish, of Jewish faith that one day the Messiah will come. One day the Holy Spirit will come. But Paul and, and Barnabas have the message of, and he's already come. He has fulfilled the law and the covenants. So that you can enter into this faith by faith. You can receive forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit as a free gift of faith. You don't have to come in and get circumcised and go through all that pain. Can you imagine being an adult and getting prostitute? And, and, no thanks. <laughs> nope. 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 I'm, if that was what it cost, I'm, I might have been out. <laughs> oh, I can just get dipped in some water? All right. I'm in. But it's entered into by faith. But here's the thing. Like I always say, it costs you everything. But it also gives you everything. It gives you the hope of the world. And so they are carrying this message. They are carrying the message of the gospel, of the the hope of all mankind, Jews and non-Jews. And they're carrying this message for the first time on tour on the island of Cyprus and they journey across the island and they make it all the way across the island to Paphos. Like I said, about 140 miles away. But there's no really response. There's no report on the response from those who are in Salamis synagogue or any of the other synagogues across the island in in this account. It just said they ended up at Paphos. Well, that's like from, like I said, here from here to Billings. Like, that's a few synagogues at least. And the, what happened? 
did, did they accept it? Did they not? Like, there's a couple of reasons why maybe they didn't mention why there was, the, why, you know, didn't mention whether there was fruit to their preaching or not. Maybe they were terrible at it. Maybe they kind of stunk it, stunk at it, and no one responded. You know, they were I mean, getting practice going from synagogue to synagogue. Maybe they hadn't got it, gotten it down yet. We don't know. But number two, there's also a theory. So everyone, everyone, uh, put your hands out. Take out your. This is going to be your. Grab your nerd hat, and then put your nerd hat on. All right. Good. All right. Going, going a little nerdy here. All right. This is where the teacher in me comes out. Sorry. <clears throat> okay. So Luke and Acts, specifically Acts, was written, the theory is that these, these books were written as a defense for Paul and his ministry as he appeared, like when he appeared before Emperor Nero in Rome. Because we'll, as we'll get to like toward the end of Acts, right, he ends up in Rome awaiting trial before Nero because he appealed to Caesar, right, in, in Caesarea Maritima. So he appeals to Caesar and says, you know, because he feels like he, he might get executed, you know, by the Roman emperor at that point because he's questioning him. He's like, I appeal to Caesar. He's like, well, I was about to let you go, but okay, if you want to go to Caesar, let's go to Caesar. So he's in Rome waiting for, to, you know, to, for his appointment to go and appear before Nero. And that's how the book of Acts ends. So some theory says that the book of Acts is actually an argument, a, de- a defense that Luke wrote and compiled all these stories in order to use as a defense for Paul before Nero. Look, he's harmless. Look at all the great power of God. Look at these stories of of transformation and power, but he's also not done anything worthy of execution. He's lived his life honorably. He's lived his life doing good. Yes, he even got stoned by people who didn't like him, and he still kept going and doing good. And so, so there are many that believe that it was you know, um, written at that point, like, like I said, like going way back to the, the, uh, to the intro that Luke most likely wrote the majority of his Luke, his, the gospel of Luke, um, and a, a good portion of the book of Acts while Paul was in prison in Caesarea Maritima for two years, because before he went to Jerusalem, he picked up Luke on his way and then, you know, from Philippi and then brought him back. And so Luke is with Paul in Jerusalem when he comes to deliver the big offering. And so for these two years, he's going around and, and talking these, to these different eyewitnesses about the accounts of Jesus and going and talking with Mary, with Mary Jesus' mother, to get the account of Luke chapter 2. He's going and talking to the guys who, who were, you know, had leprosy and were healed. He's going and talking to the, the guy who was blind and is now healed. He's going and he's talking to the guys who discovered the empty tomb. He's going to the disciples and hearing all these stories firsthand. That's what the book of Luke and the book of Acts is. And then going and talking to Peter and then all the apostles of what happened in Jerusalem and then the origin stories of the book of Acts. He's going and talking to each of these people. Like the guy who was lame at the, at the, gates, at the beautiful gate in the temple. He went and talked to that guy to get his story. And so using all these eyewitness accounts as a defense for Paul when he appears before Nero. 
And so maybe that's why he didn't recount all the different, you know, what God did in all the synagogues and how many people came to faith in Jesus in these synagogues because it wasn't necessarily important to his defense before a Gentile judge. But he comes to a proconsul. He comes to the proconsul here to highlight this, the importance of this, because the proconsul was a like basically like Gianforte. He was the governor of the area. He was the governor of the island, if not like parts of the region as well. So if nothing else, he was the governor of the entire island of Cyprus. And that's who Paul is appearing before. This is a big deal. And this is all, would also be a, good, a big deal because he comes to faith in Jesus. And so it's saying, hey, one of your governors actually now believes this as well. To Nero and to the Senate. Because this proconsul is accountable to the Senate. Okay. You can maybe take the, your, your nerdy hat off. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so Luke is highlighting the, the, the kind of, it's like the, the highlights, the highlights version of, of the story going on here. Uh, the things that would be important to the non-Jewish Gentile audience. And this is why Luke would skip, skip over to show this encounter between Barnabas and Sergius, which would turn into an encounter between Paul and Elymas in a massive spiritual smackdown, showdown. I should have said smackdown. Spiritual showdown. This is not simply a showdown between two humans. This is not a, just a debate over intellectual, you know, an intellectual debate on, on, on a subject. With two, you know, with two different truths going on in this moment. But it becomes a showdown between Jesus and Satan. Good and evil. In the spirit realm. Not just the human realm. This is, a, this is the second instance that we've gotten to um, of the kingdom of darkness being pitted against and over and against the kingdom of heaven. The first one was Simon the sorcerer. The magician, right? And so this is the enemy's attempt to come in and devour the seed that's being scattered. If you remember the story, or the, the parable at least, that Jesus told, he said, it's, you know, it's like the kingdom is, you know, growing the kingdom is like a, a, a guy who went out and sowed a bunch of seed everywhere. And if you remember my illustration, they would have like a hillside that they would plant the seeds on. And they would have a pathway that would go up the mountain. And so it all it would go continue going up the hill, and they would just sow seed on on everywhere, and so it would get on good soil. It would go in here in, in the weeds. It would go into the rocks. It would go onto the path, right? He would just indiscriminately plant. It wasn't like modern day farming where they go in there like in rows. They just sow the seed, right? And so that's what he's saying is like the illustration is, is that you, what's, what is the soil of your life that is receiving the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Are you like the pathway, the seeds that fell on the pathway where, you know, where the, the guy stomps them or, or the birds come and they devour them? Are you the, like the seed that falls in the, thist, in the thorns and you grow up a little bit, but the worries of the world choke you out. The temptations of the world choke you out. And your faith becomes useless. 
Are you the seed that falls among the, the rocks and you don't have enough, enough root to go down deep to really solidify your faith? This right here is kind of an illustration of a seed that falls on the path. And Satan is quick. Satan is quick to want to, you know, to send his spirits and, and, and demons to devour that seed that's being sown by Barnabas and Saul in this moment. He sends in this guy So that Sergius may not may hear the gospel, he might hear the words of Paul on Saul, or Barnabas and Saul, but he won't come to believe and place his faith in the Lord Jesus. That's why he even says right here in the, at the end of chapter of verse eight. But Elymas the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. That was his whole purpose for being in relationship with the proconsul, or at least in this meeting. So the conflict here between the church and the world occurs not simply on a physical level, but also, and I would say even more so, on a cosmic and supernatural level that we don't really necessarily observe. There are spirits and powers going on in the supernatural spiritual realm that we have no comprehension for. There are others that have a full awareness of them. You know, go to one of the coffee shops in town and I guarantee you, have a conversation with one of the baristas and she can tell you all about the spirit realm. I've had a few conversations with her. It's very interesting. And I've been to her Instagram. It's very interesting. But there are people, and here, now we've had conversations about this in the church, but I I want to welcome people in. We are fully aware and believe in the the supernatural in this church, in, in the spirit realm. And we believe and understand that Satan is taking over this, this town. Belgrade, Bozeman, doesn't matter. There are people who live in our, in our town that are actively in the, actively in the occult. We, I've, we have found talismans around the elementary schools from witchcraft. We have found inscriptions of witchcraft and the occult. We have found crystals and with, with, not, you know, wrapped in, th- you know, thing, not just crystals, but like things that are specific to New Age, but more specific to the occult New Age side, Celtic. And it's interesting how it's, it's a, there's New Age, there's the traditional witchcraft, but in this area, it's heavily Celtic and Nordic. Celtic and Nordic Druidian paganism is making a full on comeback in, their, in this region. It is taking over. It is getting the, the, the days of not being able to talk, not being able or willing to talk about the spiritual realm are gone. I would say the majority of people in this in this region at least know about it. If not are already deep into it or controlled by the, the demonic. But God wants to bring freedom. God has always wanted to bring freedom. Freedom from the oppression. Freedom from the demonic oppression and possession. Jesus wants to bring freedom and deliverance, healing, restoration. Today, as much as he did back then. And that's what was going on with Bar-Jesus with Bar- here. This is a battle between the gods of this world and Jesus. Yahweh, the Most High God, of the heavenly armies through Elymas and Paul. 
So, this is what happens with him. It's the spiritually blind becoming physically blind. So, Bar-Jesus, let's talk about this guy. Elemas. So, Bar-Jesus simply means son of Yeshua. Because basically, Jesus' name is Yeshua in the Hebrew. It's a Hebrew name. So, Bar means son of. Simon, you know, this is Bar-Jesus, just son of Yahshua. So that, and, but his, his other name, like we talked about, you know, having your Jewish name and, you know, Hebrew and um, Gentile name. So Elemas was his Gentile name, which meant sorcerer. Jewish, so he's Jewish, so he claimed to be a follower of Yahweh, but worshipped and prophesied through other gods. And there were a plethora back then of other gods that were worshipped and known and named. The gods of today are typically maybe not even named, but they're there. They're still there. Never gone away. And it was, he's, talk, he's, talk, he's a sorcerer. So what is sorcery? So sorcery is to speak or do or use physical objects or liquids to influence, control, or create a desired outcome through transcendent powers not prescribed by Yahweh. Channeling other gods than Yahweh. And then witchcraft. Witchcraft is trusting in the gods uh, or self through worship, divination, and alchemy. And alchemy is basically the same thing of using potions and things like that. Um, but he was also known as a Jewish false prophet. And Jesus warned of these guys. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says, Be on your guard against the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. So, sorcery in the kingdom of darkness always posture themselves in direct opposition to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven. Always. They strategically place themselves in different places. Like we're talking about. So, where, what's happening with this guy? This guy is an assistant, like he says here, right? Um, there was, he, when he traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul. Satan and his enemy and his, his followers, the demons and the spirits, strategically placed themselves everywhere in society, which we'll get to in a second. But he is strategically placing himself in relationship with Sergius Paulus so that he can consume the seed of the gospel. A Roman, like I said, this is the Roman official, the governor of Cyprus. What happens? What did he say? He's the one. This man, this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. Maybe Elymas was you know, kind of whispering in Sergius Paulus's ear, oh, don't, don't, don't worry about the Christianity thing. Don't, don't even think about it. Like, oh, he's like, I'm kind of curious now. Hey, bring in Paul and Saul. And, and, and Saul. I'm curious to hear what they're saying. Here's the thing. He strategically placed himself in a position to keep the proconsul in darkness. Like the rest of the Roman culture. The rest of the Roman culture was already in darkness. And he wanted to keep him there. Under the power of Satan. And Satan still does this today. He has and will continue to strategically place himself and his demons and spirits into places of power 
and influence in the government, in corporations, in music, in media, in any other place or arena that shapes culture. This is why we must be vigilant to decipher and to discern what we are hearing. How are we feeling? How are we responding? But here's the thing, guys. The kingdom of darkness is not one-sided. He's not Democrat. He's not Republican. He's not even Libertarian. He plays and controls all sides. Distorts and breaks all sides. Corrupts all things. Corrupts everything. Verse 10 and 11. This is... (laughs) We're getting to some powerful stuff here. 10 and 11. He says, and he said, you are full. I love this. I love how he describes this in in verse 9. He stared straight at him. Stared straight at Elymas. And he says, he says this, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil. That's probably not how it came across in their language. It's probably a little bit more colorful. I won't go into it. But you son of the devil an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. And immediately, boom! The mist of darkness fell on him and went blind. Because here's the thing. Elymas has closed his eyes to the true Jesus and desired for others to close their eyes as well. Because he thinks that he's walking in this enlightenment. Have you, heard, have you been hearing that these, the, more and more these days? Right? Coming to this full enlightenment, you need, to, you need to rise to this upper level, this higher vibration, all this stuff of enlightenment. That's becoming a, a key, you know, kind of a catchphrase in our culture today. It's kind of be, being the manifestation of, of new age in our day to day. So he has closed his eyes to the true Jesus and desired for others to close theirs as well. And maybe this is why the Holy Spirit decided that this was how he was going to enlighten him with blindness, right? You know, because blindness is a symbol for the spiritual darkness that he is already walking in and leading others into. He is a blind person leading other people into blindness. Paul prophesies physical blindness over him and he becomes blind for a while. <laughs> Which is awesome. Because by so doing, this causes belief and faith in Sergius Paulus, in the proconsul. He's like, whoa! Yep, I believe. Wow, that's true power right there. Holy cow. Yep, I'm in. The preaching of the kingdom of heaven Here's the thing, guys. It's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows. It's not going to be just like this nicety, kind, you know, worldly kindness. But power and authority. Okay, maybe not you know, yelling at them. But you know, it'll be firm. It'll be powerful. It'll be authoritative. And that's one of the craziest things. Some of the most powerful words can be, su- can be said in the most kind way. 
So don't discount the way in which you say something. You don't have to go, you don't have to get all huffed up about it. You can be, you can convey and communicate in the most kind way ever. And your words will land like tons of bricks. Why? Because it's not your words. Like we talked about, they're not just physical words. They're spiritual words of blessing. The gospel message, the words being spoken. That's why I really don't like phrases like, you know, the whole, you'll preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Like I've said, use the illustration before. It's like saying, if you know, go and feed the hungry and if necessary, use food. Like, the preaching of the gospel is the preaching of the gospel. You got to speak it, but here's the thing: make sure it aligns with your with your works, with your lifestyle, with the way you communicate yourself. If you're coming into work being the drama queen or the king, if you're coming you know coming into your to the stores being a Karen or a Chad, and then you try to like, then you try to say, you know, oh God loves you. I don't don't see the transformation of your God in your life. Why are you preaching me the gospel of joy when there's no joy in your life? Make sure that your life lines up with your message. And maybe you need the gospel first. Maybe you need to be reminded of who you are in Christ. And that, let that change your life. Let that change your words. Let that change your heart. So that when you go in and you, and you tell the gospel, when you share your faith and you talk about Jesus Christ to your family or your friends or your coworkers or whoever you, you have a relationship with, your words are powerful because it's aligning with your life. It's aligning and agreeing with the love that you're already exuding. The supernatural and miraculous doesn't always manifest in what we would, or what the world would call good. Just doing nice things for nice people, just speaking kind words. I mean, imagine this argument. Like, imagine, you know, in an argument or, or debate, like Rick Warren or Billy Graham or even me, right. right? You see me up here in the front, like talking to someone, and all of a sudden I'm like, <laughs> like, start yelling at them, or you know, saying, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of a devil. Right? It doesn't always necessarily sound nice. Or good, but it is. This was a good thing that happened to Elemis for the sake of not only him, but also Sergius Paulus. I mean, imagine Elemis when he got his sight back, when he had encountered the presence and the power of the true God. You think it would have changed his life? Amen. Like I sure darn hope so, right? Maybe Paul's like, hey, guy, I, dude, I've been there before. <laughs> I, know how, I know how it feels. It's confusing. I know you're going to walk through. Maybe Paul stayed for a few days and just sat with Elemis and talked to him about Jesus before his sight came back. I don't know. That's, that'd be awesome. I really hope he did. How do we perceive this verbiage in action today? That's not really Christ-like of you. Not really loving of you. The gospel is not communicated through weakness. The gospel is communicated through humility and truth. And it's never mean. Guys, let me hear me on with this. We don't communicate our faith 
through rudeness or shame. Oh, look what you've been doing. Oh, oh, look at you and your lifestyle. You need to change. We don't start out with how bad someone is in order to tell them about the goodness of Jesus. The gospel itself is already offensive because it's showing them that everything that they've invested their lives in is a sham. Our gospel is that there is life and joy and hope and a future because our God created the world. And our God is the only God of all the gods who draws near those who love Him with love. He loves you first. He didn't wait for you to come and sacrifice to Him so that He might bless you with something. How the other gods do. The other gods ask you for the sacrifice nonstop and continually for the rest of your life. But God's the only one that said, hey, I will come and become your sacrifice so that I can just get you. And you can get me. He is the only good God out there that's worthy or worth worshiping. Go and research some of those ancient pagan gods. You'll learn how disgusting they are. And that's the same gods that are being worshipped today and how disgusting that worship is today. But Paul, and that's why like, all, this whole situation was not human. It was human in the sense of there were the human actors here. But what does it say? Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul was filled, led, and empowered, in essence, to do this to Elymas. Do we doubt that the Holy Spirit who did this to Elymas back then would not still do this kind of thing? Or that his hand is still not against those who partner with the enemy to hinder the gospel today? Not to say that you should just go out there and start blinding people. <laughs> or at least try, you know, trying to blind people. Right? This is not an invitation to like, this is an invitation to listen to the Holy Spirit and to get into a relationship with him that is so close and you, can, and you recognize his voice over your voice or the, wor- or the world's voice so clearly that you can tell if he's asking you to do something or to speak something. This was done, and God still may do this today, not all the time, like I said, in order to open the eyes of the people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason. So blindness was brought to open the eyes of the blind. And what happened? The the proconsul believed And he was astonished at the teaching and demonstration of the word of Yahweh. This is is our passage here in 2 Corinthians. I love this passage, the way that it, it illustrates this concept. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, Therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but 
Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown his light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel does. The gospel message and the gospel demonstration illuminates and brings light. It shines in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. God's glory always shows us the face of Jesus Christ. That's what God's Holy Spirit does. God's Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus, makes much of Jesus, shines the face of Jesus into our hearts. Because, as a reminded, Satan blinds, but Jesus shines. Satan conceals and wants to continue to conceal and keep people in darkness and oppression. But Jesus reveals the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a brainwashing or a darkening of, of the mind and you know, we have something we have to get enlightened out of or blinding oneself to all religious you know, experiences and realities. And the truths of this world. It's not like a a darkening our minds to the truths of this world and only going with a strict set of religious do's and don'ts. It is an opening. It is a revealing of the true reality of the mind and the heart to the true reality of this world and to its true Creator. Because as the Bible says, Jesus was in the beginning. The Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. He is the light of the world. And in Him there is no darkness at all. The Christian faith is not about darkening our minds and darkening our wills and darkening our hearts, numbing our intellect and becoming stupid religious followers. No! That's the world! Ours is an opening of the mind to the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the Creator, the truth of this world, the truth of ourselves, the truth of God's heart. It's a revealing. It's an opening. It's taking the blinders off and not being blind anymore. It is healing. Is glory. That is what the gospel is. That is what that is who Jesus is. He is the revelation of the fullness of Yahweh. And he is inviting you into that revelation. He is inviting you into belief and to entrust him with your whole life. Because like I said. Our Christian faith is one that requires everything. But it gives you everything. So we're going to put put up a few questions here in just a moment as we we respond. I'm going to invite you guys to respond here in a moment. And as we we respond, we're going to take communion around the tables. And if you're kind of at a smaller table, I invite you maybe to join a a, a larger table with maybe more than two people. Or so three is three is fine, but if you want to join join up with another table, have conversations. 
But so how, if, you're, if you're new with us here this morning, so our, the way that we do communion is that we, uh, we, we pass around the, the, uh, the plate with, with, the, uh, with the bread and the, and the cup, right? And we, we, dip, we tear off a piece of the bread and we dip it into the cup and we say, this is the, the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. And so we, and we, and as we share, we just kind of pass the, pass the plate around. And, uh, and, if you, and here, I'm going to invite you to, if you need prayer, if you need healing and deliverance, if you need prayer, just to, for me, you know, I'd love to lay hands on you and anoint you with oil. If you need healing in your life, if you'd like to come and, and, and give your life to Jesus Christ, I, I would love to welcome you up to the altar at any point during our, during our table discussion and communion time this today. So I welcome you, and let's, let's pray together as we, as we transition into this time of communion and discussion. Lord Jesus, I pray right now for your deliverance and your healing, Lord, your presence and your spirit upon all who are here, Lord Jesus. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and, and wash away the, the darkness, Lord, that wash away the demonic. Lord, just press out and press in, Lord Jesus. Lord, to reveal yourself to us here this morning. Lord, weigh upon our hearts in such a beautiful and, and loving way that we would encounter the living Christ here this morning. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would deliver. Lord, that you would deliver and heal mindsets, ways that we've aligned with the world and the demonic. Lord, I just pray that you'd heal us of those things, Lord. Forgive our participation, and Lord, just cleanse our minds. Deliver us, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I, Lord, I pray right now that you, you, we invite you into this moment, into this time here as we gather and, and share communion together. I pray your presence as we discuss the, 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 the preaching of your word here this morning. Lord, that you would transform our lives, transform our minds, and Lord, that you would draw near to us and show us your direction. Show us your presence. Show us how you want us to respond and the transformation that you desire to bring to our lives. Bless us in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.